Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. They write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family, also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. Are you in perimenopause or menopause and have questions? My co-host, Andrea Donsky, has a podcast called Menopause Reimagined, where she answers your questions about this phase of life. So stay tuned at the end, where I will share five minutes of her amazing podcast, and there will be a link in the show notes where you can go and listen to the whole episode. Andrea is brilliant and she has worked so hard and knows her stuff. So be sure to check out Menopause Reimagined after this episode of Health Power. Thanks. I've always been kind of intimidated by art because I'm just not that good at it. Like I draw a flower the same now, you know, in my 50s as I did when I was six. But the point is to use art and music in a way that's going to help you and help others. And as a matter of fact, we've got the fantastic Mary Crescenso on the show today. Her book, The Planet Alzheimer's Guide, Eight Ways the Arts Can Transform the Life of You, excuse me, your loved one and your own, is an incredible artist who does this just transformational work with people with Alzheimer's and their families. And it's absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to buy some crayons and I'm going to start my journey today. Hello there, Mary. (laughs) Welcome to Health Power. Hi, it's so good to hear you and speak with you. Lisa, good morning. Oh, good morning. I love the book. Thank you. I love I love how you talked about learning from your fellow artist, photographer, and teaching artist, Mel Lee, about Alzheimer's and dementia in 1995. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, in the mid-90s, I worked with uh, various artists through the Arts Council as a teaching artist. He was one of them. And he had this exhibit, a very small show of work by persons with Alzheimer's because his father had it. And before he started working with others, he couldn't communicate all that well with Mm -hmm. him any longer. And he thought, "What, what do I know? Well, I know art. And that began that painting with him where communication and connection began on an alternative level. So he asked the Arts Council if he could do this. They said yes, and then I went to see this exhibit, and I immediately said, please train me. It wasn't that I was so surprised, although I was in awe, because in the late 60s, um, I graduated high school and went and got a summer job working in a nursing home, and they said, "Uh, you'll be the arts and crafts person. I said, okay. And that was my instinct to work with these persons Uh, Some with Alzheimer's, maybe some with not, not, but I didn't even know the term then. And they were joyful and they were emotional and they were unique in their creativity. And so when this opportunity came years later, after various careers in the arts, I just jumped on it. And that's how it began. He was just doing visual art, but as a multidisciplinary artist, I decided to try Uh, singing, music, movement, storytelling, poetry. Uh, And I also tried to do creative writing. I was ignorant that that would not work in most cases, except with early stages. But later on, I used that, which I'll tell you about later, uh, to help caregivers 
with creative writing for their own uh, peace of mind. Oh, yes. We can talk forever about caregiving. I had a friend that took 10 years to take care of his parents. And it was a lot. My brother took care of my mom the last nine months of her life. And it's very hard on caregivers. So I think for the, for them as well to have this, this this artistic expression is so important. And and not only is, um, well, through the book, it explains how anyone, caregivers, yes. can work with their families, friends. But when they begin this art in a non-judgmental way, um, right. in a fluid guidance, with fluid guidance, it's not just the person with Alzheimer's or dementia that begins to feel joy and a spark. The caregiver does too, because they spend their days working so hard every moment, cleaning, grooming, and and this is so difficult. But the art will bring them light and them joy as well. So it's amazing how it works. Um, Every time I began doing this, it confirmed it over and over. Now, there are studies also that show, scientific studies, that art does create uh, motivation, stimulation, relaxation. And also, it lessens the use of medication, especially for depression. So it really does work. It's just a matter of opening yourself up to this alternative way of connecting. You know, I like in the book you write, quote, arts engagement is active, interactive, social and personal through participation and self-expression, utilizing art forms and techniques which allow the mind to go deep into the internal emotional life of a person, even a person with Alzheimer's and dementia. Your approach is really beautiful and it seems like it really taps into the people. Tell us some examples of this and what you've seen. Well, um, when I start with a new person, I don't ask about the staff, about their background. I want to just come to them where they are. But as they begin to work, I start noticing things or they visually what they say or what how they paint. So then I might ask, like, tell me about this person's background. So for example, one person, he would just paint lines and lines of thick browns and greens, and he'd fill the paper. Turns out he was a geologist. And he, oh, wow. And he was nonverbal, but he was creating what he knew in his, in his life before this disease. Um, also, there was a gentleman who, also nonverbal, who would uh, wave his paintbrush in the air in a way that was kind of interesting to me. And I found out about him before he put the paper, the brush to the paper. And it turned out he was the first chair in the violin section of his orchestra, at his orchestra, but the orchestra that he oh played in, in a local, local venue. So then I started putting classical music on and just let him move to the music. And it, he just really blossomed. So uh, these are examples of... The, the past will come through in different ways. And sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it comes in profound statements that they'll make. In the middle of gibberish, in the middle of what, uh, not in a pejorative way do I say sure, gibberish, sure. but in, in a language maybe that we don't understand, and then they'll say something, and 
it'll just grab you. And as a caregiver, it will grab you as well to know that there is that innate that we all have creative spirit in us and art brings that alive. Yeah. And, you know, I've just been talking about, you know, drawing, but, or painting or watercolor markers, but there's telling stories, there's movement, there's singing songs, there's listening, reciting poetry, there's viewing, reacting and discussing photographs. I think it's interesting to, you must see like different people respond to different mediums. And yes. you might try one-on-one, you're looking at, let's look at some photographs now. And then you're like, let's sing a song. And they're like, la, 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 la. Exactly. You know? It's all about redirection and not judgment and not worried about product, worried about process. So yeah, well, let's try this. And I must react to something you said in the beginning, because it makes me think of something I've heard a lot. You talked about, oh, I'm not that good in art. And right, we all can make art. There are people just like basketball players or ballet dancers who have this a heightened gift, but we can all be creative. And when I heard you say that, it made me think of people that I've talked to, children all ages, because I work with all ages, all circumstances, and even caregivers. And they say, well, I can't do art. I can't. How can I even work with someone, or I like to say play, in the world of art, because I can't do this. And so my question to them, and that's a question to you as well, is, I always say, is there someone in your life, a parent, a teacher, a peer, someone who told you, you can't fill in the blank, draw, sing, paint? The answer is always yes. And that creates this blockage that I can't. So I'm there to say, you can, let's, let's see what happens. That's one of my mottos. Let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I don't think anyone said that to me, but my sister was an amazing artist. So I was like, oh, I can't draw. I mean, look at her. Yes. You said it to yourself. But I'm a good singer, but I didn't think of singing as art. Oh yes. I think of putting pen, crayon, watercolor, something to paper is art. I didn't think of all these other things. It's very narrow. I think a lot of people feel like that. Yes. In fact, I wrote an article for uh, the Dementia Map uh, directory, which is a clearinghouse, a place to find people all over the country. It said, art is not just visual art. I don't know if that's the exact title. It's also on my website. Because people think of art, as you say, as visual. I even expand it to the idea of like crafts, artisan crafts. Now, I don't mean gluing macaroni to a paper plate. That's busy work. And I never want to see that happen uh, because this, it just is not creative in that sense. But um, you can do gardening, the art of knitting, crocheting. Now you might think, well, I'm going to put knitting needles in someone's hands who has Alzheimer's and cognitive um, concerns. There's something called muscle memory. And if you buy them, I wouldn't be surprised if they would be able to do that movement over and over. There's uh, the art of collage, although you have to be careful with the glue. There are a lot of do's and don'ts in my book to help help you to be su- successful. But even the art of conversation, even if that conversation doesn't seem to make sense to you, I like to call it creative conversation. See where that person leads you. 
if they say the sky's green and it's not hurting anybody, well, then talk about that. Sure. So there's many forms of art. You know, you mentioned the do's and don'ts, and you go through in each chapter so beautifully so somebody can do this. I mean, you have these questions. So you have, you know, you tell the different types of activities. When is the best time to stage or engage? Where is this best accomplished? Why should I try this? Because how do I make this happen? So give us an example. If we're talking about watercolor, for example, what are some good times to do that and why? Well, we kind of know the why, but. (laughs) Good question. Um, Well, first of all, you don't want to do it during lunchtime. You don't want to have food around when you're doing any of the arts. It's a distraction. Uh, You don't want to do it at the period of time where they call sundowning, when it begins to be dusk. And for some reason, uh, the brain, for some, uh, makes them anxious at that time. The sun is going down. So you don't want to do it. You want to do it after they've been groomed, after they've been fed, in the middle of the day. So instead of the television or just staring at each other, those are good times to do it. Also, uh, I just learned a lot of this from doing. You don't want to put a glass or a plastic cup of water to dip the brushes in because it looks like a glass to drink from. And the person you're working with may choose to drink it. I've had that happen. So I changed to coffee cans. Oh, that's a good idea. That way they don't pick it up. Another thing is if you have a round plate where you place the watercolor uh, tube squeezes, um, they might want to eat the paint because it looks like food on a plate. So I try uh-huh. to use yeah, a square plate, something I can recycle or, or even better wash. So these are certain tips that help you to navigate the art as opposed to say, oh, that they did this. Now what do I do? So it tells you things, good things to do and things that you might want to choose not to do under the circumstances. Now, when you're talking about painting, you tell us about Dorothy. Dorothy uh, loved to paint squiggles. And this was like her style. And you'll start to see when you do this over and over again, that a, a style emerges from each person. And so she did lots of squiggles and they sometimes even looked like swans. The other thing she did was she took out her hearing aids and started painting her hearing aids. And so I thought, okay, let's redirect. So very gently, kindly took them out of the space. And there's always an aid with me. Uh, There was, and I would always say, um, hold on to this, or I'm just going to put this aside. And for visual art, you don't need to hear. It's not singing. So she felt better without them and she didn't paint them and went back to her paper. So there's so many um, stories like that where things just emerge and you follow. I like to say that art, um, Alzheimer's is a dance. They lead, we follow. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the next thing I was going to talk about was movement and music and, and songs and sing-alongs. And you write in the book, according to music therapist Kate Richards-Geller, quote, research shows that music activates many areas of the brain at the same time. It strengthens existing neural pathways and builds new ones. Yeah, music has that ability to 
touch many parts of the brain. Um, Kate is a friend of mine. She's an art therapist. Um, And although I studied art therapy in graduate school, um, I chose to go in this direction, well, in various directions. But um, anyway, to discuss this with her, she really knows all the scientific aspects of it. And it touches various parts of the brain. It brings back memory of songs that you might think this person would never remember. I mean, I would sit in a room with a microphone and a karaoke machine what was very different than years than what it is now. They had these big, huge silver discs that you stick into a machine. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it would, and it would, I, it would make an image. And so you watched a video and there was literally a bouncing ball with the lyrics, but they weren't looking at the lyrics. They would just begin to sing songs that I chose from their era of, um, of their active lives. So Music is quite amazing. And each of the arts uh, bring forth that inner person, that inner life that's there. Yeah. And I think movement's important too, because especially for a lot of older people, especially if they're in a, you know, I don't, it depends if they're in assisted living or what kind of home they're in, but they might not be getting that much movement. Exactly. I, I remember walking into a facility once and there was a big screen TV and They had people lined up in chairs and they had exercise on the screen and there was no one monitoring them. And my first reaction is what if someone falls off the chair and they can't interact with the person on the screen? So I can't do that. How about this? So the movement that I like to use is uh, if either in a chair or holding hands with aids if necessary or A lot of these people are quite mobile on their own. There's so many stages of Alzheimer's. We want to work within those stages. But I would take hats, put hats on people, tell them to switch hats, wave their hats in the air, tip their hats, which is an old-fashioned thing, but tip your hat to the person next to you. I'd take scarves and have them wave them in the air and talk about the wind. And still, you could also start a story that way so you can integrate the different art forms and that kind of movement is so helpful and there's socialization that happens people start talking to each other yeah i love that you know i also love in chapter four a picture's worth a thousand words photos art books and visits to museum and you talked about even just going online and you know going to a museum from the comfort of wherever you are. Absolutely. COVID has taught us that everyone can find information and be present um, at even a live lecture. So yes, you can go to museums. They have their art online and you can just sit and talk about maybe a famous painting or maybe one not so famous. person doesn't have to be interested in art. Sometimes people who have never done any art are doing amazing art. It's, it's, it's what happens. So you might say, um, you look at someone maybe with a bowl. What's that person doing? Uh, how do you think that person feels? Do you, what do you think of the sky? It's open-ended questions. You right. never want to say, do you know what that is? Do you remember what that is? That's going to lead you down a path of uh, failure for the process. So, yeah, and museums, if you 
if you want to do it online, you can. But there are actually museums, Museum of Modern Art in New York and others that have special days for persons with Alzheimer's. Oh, and, that's fantastic. And you can, there's a guide uh, who's there, but you come in with your caregiver and it's just wonderful because to see those paintings so large or sculptures, it's brain stimulation. Isn't that what we all need? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I haven't been to a museum in a long time. I need to do that. You've probably heard how important it is to take probiotics. And trust me, you don't want to take just any. You want to take Omnibiotic Stress Release. It's a psychobiotic that is backed by science and is an award-winning physician-recommended brand here in the U.S. What is a psychobiotic, you might be asking? Psychobiotics are types of probiotic bacteria that have been shown to directly impact your mental health. And my family and I have seen a difference in ours since taking our daily omnibiotic stress release. These are targeted probiotics. They have a highly effective powder delivery mechanism. They have clinically tested health benefits and they are vegan and hypoallergenic. Omnibiotic Stress Release's unique powder delivery mechanism ensures that 83% of good bacteria reach the desired area of the gut, compared to an average of 7% in top probiotic capsule brands. So I encourage you all to go to omnibioticlife.com. You will get 15% off of your order by using the promo code LisaDavis15 at checkout. Again, these are incredible probiotics. You want to have a healthy gut. You want to have less anxiety. You want to feel better. I highly encourage you again. So go to omnibioticlife.com. Use the promo code LisaDavis15 at checkout. You will be so glad you did. This is such an important thing you can do for your overall health. Now in chapter five, engaging family and friends of all ages, an intergenerational approach. I love that you say, quote, art is a common denominator when it comes to bringing people of all ages and differences together, because we share a common creative spirit, when we join together in art making, our creativity blooms amongst each other like flowers in a wildflower garden. I love the way you write because I can totally oh, picture those Oh, thank you. Well, I'm flowers. also a poet. <laughs> and before I was published as an author, I was published as a poet and a writer in different forms. But thank you so much. I'm a visual person as well. Intergenerational art is an amazing source for inspiration and motivation for young and old in the same room. Um, in the book, I talk about these children, these two children who came with their mom. It was a holiday and they were off and they were just sitting, waiting for their mom who had a shift. And uh, it was allowed that they come, but I was about to do an art program with some women. And I said, would you like to come and join us and make art? Well, kids, they... They don't have that restriction in their brain. Like, right. you know, so yeah, I want to do that. And we sat at a table and there wasn't a lot of conversation, but there was smiles, sharing paint, uh, looking at each other's artwork, not, not judging it. And they were so happy to be together. It's amazing how a person who will sit and do nothing or walk around in contrast, the room around and round and round will sit for an hour and paint or sing or do a form of art. It is um, such a connection. We all have it. Now, when you were young, did you enjoy doing art like as a kid? 
Oh, yes. I loved, I loved doing art. I was singing at two and a half years old. I was oh, wow. <laughs> painting and drawing. And um, it's something that's uh, just, it's in all of us, but um, it was quite a heightened uh, passion since I was a young child. And I made sure that in my life, I found myself in professional um, environments where I could express my art, sometimes one, sometimes the other. Oh, yeah. And my mother would say, who really wasn't all that supportive, would Aww. say, why are you always drawing in the margins in your spelling test or in your, not spells, in your spell, <laughs> or in your, why are you always drawing in the margins? I'm like, because I want to express what I'm, I want to, <laughs> not even, right. I just want to. So um, sometimes you're, it's, art is not understood by others. And I think that's, again, because one wasn't exposed to it. One is told that only certain people can do art. And so one of my missions also has always been to bring art to unlikely places, which kind of led me from children to um, persons with special needs and then persons with Alzheimer's, as we said in the beginning with my dear friend, Mel Lee, who mentored me with persons with this disease. Never, had never expected that the work that I did then in the 90s, even in the 60s, would lead me to write a book to tell other people, to share with them how they could use art for this connection and communication and joy and quality of life. I never thought that I would have won an award for this, which is the MODS Award. I won it in 2022 for innovation oh, nice. in Alzheimer's care. Um, this is an amazing award out of Seattle, and it's a foundation that gives five organizations and five individuals a monetary award and also a physical award. It's beautiful. But it gives oh, congratulations. us... Thank you so much. I, I, when I gave my speech, I started crying at the end because... I never mm. expected that this would lead me here. One never knows where life takes them. Uh, but yeah, so it, this award really has helped me to spread the word even further and to use the award and some of the money to expand the people I see and work with. So, Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm... I'm happy that this is one of the uh, one of the many careers that I've had, where um, I've always wanted to bring share uh, bring joy to others, um, and I think it had a little bit to do with my background, where there wasn't sometimes as much joy as I might have wanted it to be, um, mm -hmm. but I, I always knew that I needed to bring emotional connection to people. And I'm still doing it and still enjoying it. You know, and it makes me wonder and think about the impact you've had on people and then how their loved ones respond to you. Have you had, oh my gosh, my dad, you know, since he started moving or singing or drawing or looking at photographs, you know, fill in the dots. What have you heard from, from some of their family members? Oh, yes. They have, first of all, they often are a little cautious, more cautious than the person with the with Alzheimer's, they're ready to jump in. But yeah, I have heard he never painted before. He didn't even like movement or dance or uh, music. 
now he's like, so I love it. He's loving it. And I'm loving it. I have a different connection with him. I also get on the other hand, when I give lectures and public speaking to conferences and groups of caregivers, people will say, I wish this book was around when my loved one was here because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to connect. And so, yeah, families are, and even children, they're just all, yes, in some form, my loved one is present again. And if, if you're looking for the past, it's not going to feel good. But if you, if you go to them where they are in the present, you're going to find that connection and you'll, there'll be surprises and wonder. So, Guys, so huge that you said that. You know, when I got my master's in public health, one of the first things we learned is you have to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. And yeah, if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do some painting and then my dad's going to remember me and my, you know, my kids and all these things, just see another side of him or see him get joy. It's like your expectations, right? You have to balance your expectations. Exactly. Um, if I may, I'd like to quote my mentor. Of course. I went to Colorado to visit one of my grandchildren, and I found out through internet that he lived there. And we met again. Oh, my gosh. How it exciting. Was, it was the most beautiful time. And I thanked him for all that he did. And he thought, well, I never knew this was going to lead you or anyone else here. So, But I'd like to read a quote that he said, and this says it all. Uh, it's actually the epigraph in my book and the dedication to him. Don't miss out on the beauty of a spirit not gone. That's beautiful. I think so, too. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, I, you know, I, I was mentioning that I think a lot of people think that they're just gone. And maybe parts of them are. Right. Maybe there's something in there that they can express through this wonderful world of art. Lisa, you just reminded me of something. There may be people, a person listening, saying, you know, I didn't really have a good relationship with my father, mother, whoever they're caring for in my life. And now you want me to do this with them. I don't know if I can. But the difference is when you don't think about the past, and you come into the present I've seen people have a new, fresh, positive relationship because the person doesn't remember those trials and tribulations. And if you can let them go, it is beautiful to see how, how you learn from that experience and take it in the present. I have learned so much from these people I've worked with, hundreds of people. I've learned that you have to live in the present. And just be and see what happens. Yeah, that's huge. I, I think, you know, for some people, that could be really tricky, depending on, you know, how bad, you know, ser you know, obviously. But I think if they can find that ability to move forward, again, and meet their parent where they're at. Or welcome. let go of the past. Or, wel yeah. Welcoming you know? other pe parts of the family saying, I can't do this. It's too emotionally straining, draining for me. Yeah. Maybe you would like to try a teenager, an older person, even a child. Yeah, 
No, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's hard because, you know, my mother was chronically ill my whole childhood. And when she was dying of cancer and I was in my twenties, you know, I didn't want to take care of her. Instead, I said, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I don't have much money, but I'll help pay whatever I can to hire someone. Cause I knew for me, that wasn't going to be a good situation. Right. Um, luckily my brother <laughs> stepped up to the task. I've always had a little guilt about that, but I also felt like we would just be fighting and, and, mm. and it wasn't my mother and I were close in some ways, but it was a complicated relationship because I had resentment of her not being able to take care of me. And I had to take care of her. I just thought this isn't going to be good for mm-hmm. either of us. Um, and I think it's okay to say that, right? Cause I don't want yes. someone listening going, Oh God, my parents used to beat me. And now you want me to like color with them. Yeah, Screw that. Exactly. Not, and I think it's okay to say that. I really do. And my mother never beat me, but I'm just saying like, it's still complicated, right? It is. And I'm glad you brought up the term, the word guilt, because Mm -hmm. no caregiver should ever feel guilty that they can't do this or that, or that they may have to put their loved one in assisted living or a care home because it's dangerous for them, for the caregiver or even the person with this disease uh, to be in a household or you have to work um, and never feel that because you are doing the best that you can. Of course, you don't want the other side where there is abuse that sometimes is laid upon a person yes. with this. And that is totally unacceptable. Um, Completely. It, it makes, makes me think of uh, my play, Planet A, which is about the inner world of Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And there are characters in there who um, are feeling guilty because they had to uh, separate themselves physically and have their loved ones live in a different facility. Or two brothers who are uh, thinking, well, you never did this. You want me to do everything now. And why don't you care? And then you hear the voice of the other brother to the audience, because this is monologue based and the people talk to the audience, their mm. inner thoughts, even the people with Alzheimer's will re- re- uh, live and reveal their inner thoughts. And then the other brother says, I physically and emotionally can't do this. I want to, I do what I can in my own way, but I can't face this. So you never know what someone's going through and why they can't do what they think they might need to do. So yeah, never feel that it's, it's only harmful to you. And that's true. And it's interesting too, because I mean, I was in my twenties. I haven't really, I hadn't really started therapy yet or worked through stuff. If it happened 20 years later, I probably could have said, yeah, I'll come and help, you know, maybe my brother and I can split it or something. But at that point I was still like, it was just fresh, you know? And I was like, I've been taking care of you lady forever. (laughs) I need a break. And you've been quite, you were quite young too. So yeah, yeah, we need to do what is necessary for ourselves as well as for others. And perhaps it might be better that you didn't do that for her. I mean, I'm just making a statement. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so hard. There's always, oh, I should have, what if I had done? And, you know, I mean, it's, you can't, and again, living in guilt is not, is not a, is not a fun thing. And diseases create loss. There is loss here as life creates loss. And so it's complicated. Um, It's good to get a therapist to help you maybe work it through uh, because you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, I find that um, 
caregivers, when they come together, when they're able to, because it's kind of a catch-22, they're busy caregiving. But exactly, I, I have given uh, creative writing workshops for caregivers where mm. it creates a safe space for them to express their feelings, no judgment. And we write, and if they choose, they can read out loud. And they know I'm not alone in this difficulty, in this pain. And again, it gives them a cathartic space to just get those feelings out on the paper. Um, oh, yeah. I'm such a huge fan of support groups. I mean, yes. huge. My father and I went to one together after my mom died. My mom went to one while she had cancer. My dad went to the one for spouses. You know, I'm going to need the biggest support group ever when my dogs go. I mean, you know, so I, I just think it's so incredible that when you can come together with people that have had shared experiences, and I think especially with something like Alzheimer's, I mean, we didn't even really get into just how incredibly challenging and heartbreaking it can be. If you, if you can share a little bit about that and, and, you know, even with some of the people, obviously no names, but like some of the people you've worked with and what you've seen and how that's been on their families. Sure. Well, it's easy for me, relatively speaking, to go in and work with someone because I don't know them in their past. Right. Uh, but I've seen, you know, families who um, either are in denial and want to feel that this is not what it is or we can change this. Uh, I've seen families who regret the relationship that they've had before knowing it's too late in that sense, to bring that back to a certain place. Um, you know, there are people who, when persons are in late, in my play, there's these characters where this person like starts dating someone while his wife is in the facility. Um, this is, I don't make these things up. I've seen these things. That was actually on CBS News. There was a, a reporter years ago who had a story oh. revealed this about himself. Um, and people will want to judge you. And yet he still was visiting his wife. And his wife, in my play, has a relationship with another character. Because right. you're, you're only where you are. And you can't judge why people do what they do. I know I that agree. sounds harsh. But um, what I like to do in, at the end of the play is to always bring in a person from a, uh, one of the Alzheimer's associations to have a Q and a with the cast and with me. And it makes, it lets people know they're not alone. I see it as a public service to uh, demystify uh, things you might think about Alzheimer's and people will talk about their, their, their feelings and their family. And I started this because the first time I did this play in New York, um, at the director's club, it was a small black box. And when everyone left, people were in tears. And wow. I'm like, I can't have people leave this way. There, believe me, there are some humorous moments in this play. And it is very empowering. But it's intense. Right. It's intense. And they would leave wow. in tears. And I thought, no, I have to create something when it's over that people can express their questions, their statements. And it's always beautiful when that happens. So as you say, we're in this together. How can we support each other in different ways? We're not alone. You're not alone. Um, find ways, maybe art, 
to give, bring some joy into, into your moments with this person that you love and on your own time as well. Now, how do we see this wonderful play? I, I got to see this. <laughs> well, um, the play was actually, uh, it's been in New York and uh, staged readings all over the country, but the most recent was in June when we did a fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association. And again, it's called Planet A. Uh, we actually, uh, it was on Broadway On Demand, where it's like a streaming thing where- I was going to ask if yes. there's a way we can watch well, it. Well, yes, there will be, because now uh, we videotaped it, and we oh, are nice. doing some editing, and we will have it available through the website, and also, I think, on uh, Vimeo. Vimeo. Yeah, um, great. We want to be able to uh, have it able for purchase, um, and for educational purposes- or if anyone uh, knows of a theater in their town where a play like this might uh, be a good community event, um, it's available for staging and it's called licensing through me on my website, which is marycrescenzo.com. So I'll make sure, Lisa, that when we have it all edited uh, in post that you'll get to see it. Well, you'll have to come back so we can dive in deeper. That's so exciting. Was there anything you wanted to add to today's conversation before we close, Mary? It's been just lovely. Well, thank you for having me. You asked me a question uh, previously when we were uh, planning this that no one's ever asked me. And that question was, what about the lifestyle of those with Alzheimer's and dementia? And I'd like to address that. Oh, sure. It should not be a lifestyle being placed in front of a TV screen all day, one of isolation or confinement. It should be a lifestyle of interaction, conversation, even fragmented conversations and self-expression. And find your own creative ways of being with that person. But that was, that question really made me think, Because even persons with Alzheimer's and dementia or any special needs, they have lifestyles too. It's helped to make it a positive, creative lifestyle. Oh, I love that. Well, the book is The Planet Alzheimer's Guide, Eight Ways the Arts Can Transform the Life of Your Loved One and Your Own. Mary, give us your website again and spell your last name for us. Okay. So my name is Mary Crescenzo, C-R-E-S as in Sam. C-E-N-Z-O. It's like the musical term crescendo, which means to grow grow louder, except there's a Z instead of a D. It's a pretty name. So, thank you. And the website is HTPP Business, www. Mary, just Google marycrescenzo.com. Mary, C-R-E-S-C-E-N-Z-O.com. And you'll find um, everything about my work, my various forms of work. And you can also contact me there. I will answer. Oh, yes. I will answer anyone who contacts me through the contact page. If you have questions about the book, about what you read, or just questions about Alzheimer's and dementia in regard to creativity, I'm here for you. Oh, Mary, you're just absolutely wonderful. This has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Everybody keep coming back to Health Power. And don't forget, on Thursdays, every Thursday now, Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis. Say right about dogs. I interview them. Thanks so much for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Health Power. Right now, I'm going to play about five minutes of the wonderful podcast by Andrea Donsky, Menopause Reimagined. This is episode 49, Yes, You Can Lose Weight in Menopause with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Again, just go to where you get your podcasts and type in Menopause Reimagined. Enjoy. Welcome to the Morphous for Menopause podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky, a holistic nutritionist for more than 15 years. My passion is helping women navigate through perimenopause and menopause. On today's show, I interview Dr. Sarah Gottfried. She's a Harvard-educated medical doctor and board-certified gynecologist who treats the root causes of problems, not just symptoms. She's also a nationally recognized yoga teacher. You won't want to miss this episode. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Andrea, I'm so excited to be here. And I am so excited to have you. All right, I'm really, I want to talk about your new book, Woman, Food, and Hormones. What inspired you to write it? Well, the inspiration was that I was really struggling with my weight. So I wrote my first book, The Hormone Cure, about 10 years ago. And I basically was seeing patients during the day. Yeah, thank you for holding it up for those who are watching. I was seeing patients during the day and then writing at night and just all that sitting led to me being a metabolic train wreck. And so I wanted to figure out, okay, what's going to work in terms of getting my metabolic hormones back into balance. And so I tried keto and keto did not work for me. I went on keto with my husband. He lost 20 pounds and I gained weight and I was like, what's up with this? And I started to get all of these keto refugees in my clinic, women who had a similar story where they tried keto, maybe with a male partner or male colleague, the partner lost weight, they did not. And so I wanted to look into it more deeply. I ended up trying keto a few more times and didn't get it right until the third time when I discovered that there's a few pieces that are really essential for women and for their hormones, including detoxification, first and foremost, we really need that for hormonal balance, and then combine it with nutritional ketosis, not bacon and butter and fat bombs, but a well-formulated ketogenic diet that's whole foods-based, really plant-forward, and uh, excellent for the microbiome, and then to also layer in intermittent fasting, because that allows women to eat more carbohydrates, depending on the timing, and that I think is essential, especially for thyroid function, for cortisol, and for insulin. So that's what this book is about. It's a four-week plan to do this female-adapted ketogenic diet. And I love that you're talking about adapting the keto diet because we have heard for you know for from so many health experts that doing a, a, a keto diet is great for a very short period of time, but not for an ongoing period of time. And when you talk about adapting it, so basically you're adapting it in a way that would be healthy for all of us, especially women in you know perimenopause and menopause, but I'm guessing in general when it comes to hormones. So I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on the type. So you talk about carbohydrates and the importance of it, obviously. Now, what carbohydrates are you referring to? So I'm guessing it's not refined carbohydrates is, you know, Give us a little bit of that information, because I think it's important for us to understand what you're referring to when we talk about carbs. Yeah, it's important to realize that carbs are not the enemy. I think a lot of folks villainize carbs, especially people who promote a classic ketogenic diet. And the truth is we need carbs. We need it to make serotonin. We need it to sleep well. We need it for thyroid function and also for good stress response. So what I think is important with carbs is to realize that the enemy is actually 
metabolic inflexibility. This is episode 49, Yes, You Can Lose Weight in Menopause with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Again, just go to where you get your podcasts and type in Menopause Reimagined. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.